We're going to start this series at the, the end of Jesus' sermon. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And right at the end is where we're going to start this morning. We're not going to start it at the beginning. What happened is that up until this point, only for a brief period of time, the disciples and the crowd started to see the kingdom of God functioning. For years, there's been prophecies about the Messiah that will come, and he has come, and he started his ministries, and for a few chapters, Jesus has been doing the work of the kingdom. And then he goes up onto the mount, and it says that his disciples followed him. He wanted to get away from the crowd a bit, and he sits down, and he gives them this incredible message and he tells him, this kingdom that you just saw me bringing and saw me operating in, it is available to you. And I'm going to teach you exactly what it is that you need to do to grab hold of this kingdom. And he takes him through a whole journey. And then he ends, we're going to start this morning with these words. And you can follow on the screen. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, and who does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I really... And I've given my life to this, and it's the thing that gives me the most joy on earth, is to see people standing in the fullness that Christ has intended for them, like houses on a rock. And therefore, we use that imagery of that strong rock standing in the midst, the waves and the ocean and the power that beats upon it. And I want to say that I believe each one of our lives can look like that, where we keep standing in amidst everything that's happening around life. How do we do that? Simply, we're going to listen to these words of Jesus over the next few months, and then we're going to do it. You see, this is important. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to give you a great sermon, and then leave the doors, or leave the mountain, and then it's over. He says, listen to everything I just said, and actually go and do it. I thought about this. We've got 52 Sundays a year. How many sermons do you hear if you're a good church attendant? maybe 40, because there's a lot happening in, in the Cape, so there's always races and all these weekends away, so you, maybe you do 40. I, I would say that's a good mark. <laughs> 40 sermons a year, nonetheless, all the podcasts that you might listen to or the conversations you have at Life Group, if you simply just start doing it and not just hearing it, your life will be like a life standing on the rock. And if you're in a place of brokenness this morning, I believe this word is especially for you. If you're in a place of crying out to God to be standing firm amidst the trials that's beating up against you and the storms of life, this series is going to help you stand like never before. And that's not me saying, making empty promises. This is Christ saying, if you hear this and you do this, your life will be like a rock. This is the 101 of Christian living. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, this is what it's going to be like, and this is how I need you to walk your life. What I love about this and the study of this, if you've got a Bible like mine who puts the words of Jesus in red, we're gonna be only studying the red words for the next few weeks. So I wanna say this this morning because you believe me, if you, if you preach the words like Jesus, 
you, you say hello. <laughs> You're like, God, how do, I, how do I expound on something so profound like the statements of the Sermon on the Mount? And I want you to, to change your hearts this morning and not see Pierre or next week Pastor Linda or three weeks down the line, Ricky, as the preachers. But I want to say for this series, the preacher is our Lord Jesus. He's going to be preaching. We're going to be studying it together. And then those of us who stand up here and study it with you hope to give some insight into what Jesus meant in these moments. That kind of takes the pressure off me because no one greater, no one more clear, no one who's more desperate to bring this message across than Jesus Christ himself. I'm excited that we're also gonna be giving you life group material for the next three months with all the right questions and all the right things in place that we can truly study the words of Jesus like never before. What I love about this sermon, it's, it's worked out quite well that if Jesus was here today with a PowerPoint, it would have been worked out really well and he would have had five R's or 10 S's or nine P's. <laughs> But it's actually, he, he comes with a very clear message that gives us three goals this morning. And, and, and this message in its, in its greatness as a unit is three things. Jesus is ready to bless us. Jesus is ready to direct us. And Jesus is ready to invite us. Three parts, three focuses in this sermon. It starts with our own hearts. It starts with our own lives before him. And it starts with these incredible words that I want you to be blessed. And then he moves on and he says, after he spoke about our, our heart's posture before him of being blessed by him and what it means and be ready to have that concept turned around this morning because blessedness in the light of what we see and the light of what Christ see is completely different thoughts. And then the second thing he says, after I've spoken about how I want to bless you and how you can attain that blessing, I want to speak to you about and direct your steps and how you relate to other people. That's the second part of the Sermon on the Mount where he speaks about all these, these topics of oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies and, and the more difficult ones to talk about on a Sunday, lust and adultery. He just goes straight in, I'm going to direct you in a way of living that doesn't send you down this route. The third thing he does and the end of this beautiful sermon is he then invites us and says, there's a greater kingdom. There's a greater reality. If you wanna put on your hiking boots and start following me and start putting your focus on my kingdom, I wanna invite you up here. So not only blessing us, not only directing us, but there's an invitation through the Sermon of the Mount to go to the higher places of the kingdom of God that he is calling us into. We're gonna do this series over three parts, inward, outward, and upward. Inward is that position of our hearts before him. It's gonna be a revealing series, I believe. My heart was in my face like a mirror this whole week by studying one verse that I hope to give some justice to this morning when we read it together and look at what Jesus meant to say. And I'm just like, God, my heart is still so far from the fullness of grabbing hold of everything you have for me. And then when we're done there, we're gonna say, okay, now that our hearts are in a good place before Jesus, and we've, we've talked through these things, we're gonna start living outward because it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our lives start living. And then there's a call to come up to the kingdom of God. If you've got faith for this over the next few weeks, yep. Pete's got faith and maybe four others. Have you got faith for this series? Yes. 
Amen. That's awesome. So this morning we're starting with the first part. It's the blessing part. It's the inward part. It's the Beatitudes. It's an interesting word. The best way to remember it, I remember hearing this from a charismatic preacher many years ago. Don't know whether it's on TV, but it's the Beatitude. What attitude do you need to be in? What's the attitude of your heart to receive the fullness of the kingdom of God? And here it's so clear that Jesus starts saying, I want you to be blessed. Come up, he walks up the mountain, he sits down and says, if you are my followers, I want you to be blessed. And the very first words that comes out of his mouth in that moment is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now let's talk about that word blessed. Because hashtag blessed, and seriously we laugh, but has, has misconstrued the real meaning of, the biblical meaning of it. We, we Instagram post our meal and we say hashtag blessed. We talk to our friends about driving in a Jaguar, whatever, S-type. Don't know, Peter, if that's a good one. And we say, yes, that was blessed. Where Jesus' view of blessed is completely different. And all the things in the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's what true blessing is according to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know where you have found your blessedness, but I'm saying this morning, and this has been my prayer, Lord, let it be found completely in you. That word blessed that Jesus used there is the word makarios, which means to be fortunate, to be happy, to be privileged, recipient of God's favor, and to be envied. How many of you, let's be honest, has looked at someone's, whatever they have, material things or lifestyle, and, and you have a bit of envy, like, this morning, some of the guys observed a vehicle outside uh, after setting up, and I walked past and I jokingly said, don't desire or envy that. So it's too late, Eugene says. You see, there's a repentance, I love it. But again, in our hashtag blessed in society and world, these earthly things is what we, we envy and we desire. But the Bible teaches that those who hear these words of Jesus and live their lives according to it, they will truly be the ones in the end who is envied and looked upon and like, oh my word, that life that they live, I want that, I desire that. That is incredible because Christ is at the center of their hearts. So let's start this morning with the very first thing that Jesus said. He, he said this so profoundly. He's, there's eight statements of, of the attitude of our hearts, the Beatitudes. And it starts with number one that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So if you want the kingdom of God, what do you need to do? You need to be poor in spirit. Wow, that's a, a big thought. And I hope to this morning to, to share with you exactly what it means. And then he goes through other blessed things. Blessed are those hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then he ends again, and he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Eight statements, and the first one, the blessedness is that we get the kingdom of God, and the last one, the blessedness is that we get the kingdom of God. And then number, number two all the way to number seven gives us a future promise. If you hunger and thirst, you will be filled. If you mourn, you will be comforted. So the beauty about the Beatitudes is that it gives us a new reality today, the, the, the fullness of the kingdom of God in our lives, and it gives us a future hope and a future promise 
that will take place in our lives if we live according to this. It would be right and just to call these paradoxes. Paradox is something that doesn't quite sound right. It's complete opposites that make a whole. And if you look at that, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's flip it around for a moment. Think about the kingdom of heaven and all the riches and grace and power and fulfillment that you find in the kingdom of Christ. How rich is one that has discovered the kingdom? Jesus says the story of a man that has found a treasure in a field and he sells everything he has to purchase that field so that he can have that treasure. And that's the treasure of the kingdom. But then Jesus comes and he says, if you want this, you've gotta be poor. It starts with a poverty. It's a massive paradox. And how do we understand this? I can imagine his disciples hearing these first words and he says, blessed are, and I can imagine them thinking things. Are we when we've got everything we need? Are we when everything in life makes sense? And then Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Whoa, wait a minute. It's like that scratch the DJ moment. The tape goes backwards. Like, I didn't see that coming. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they will have the fullness of the kingdom. Just that promise puts me in a place where my like, God, I want to understand what it is to be poor in spirit, because I desperately want the fullness of your kingdom. And the best way to explain this, and Jesus uses strong words and almost poetic words, he tries to paint a picture, is that poor in spirit is an inward state paralleling the outward circumstances of a lowly street beggar. Blessed are you if you are like a lowly street beggar on the streets of Jerusalem crying out for a piece of bread. Jesus looks at that and he uses that image and says, now that is blessed. Who would ever post an Instagram picture of a beggar asking for a piece of bread and call that hashtag blessed? I wouldn't because it's counterculture, it, it just doesn't make sense. But Christ comes in, if, if you can get your soul and your heart in a place where you just cry out for a piece of bread, then you are blessed, because then you have a revelation of what it is that I can bring. And isn't Jesus the living bread? So he, he just uses such strong imagery, crying out for a piece of bread, and then the living bread comes, and gives you every single thing that you need. The world says, be strong, have it all together. These are the boxes that has to be ticked. And if we had to take a moment this morning and hear stories of people, all of us have got boxes that aren't ticked, right? All of us. And there's this inward fight of, no, but surely that could be mine because that's what the world teaches to be blessed. And Jesus comes and he brings another thought we just it, just, it just changes the way we think about it. What it is saying is take everything inside of you and empty yourself of it so that you desire me completely. Become poor in everything that this world has to offer, in your understanding of it, in your own soul, in your own spirit. And when you've done this, I will come and I will give you the kingdom. Poverty of spirit is the disposition of the soul by which we become empty of self in order to be filled with Jesus. Just read that again. 
Poverty of the spirit is the disposition of the soul by which we become empty of self in order to be filled with Jesus. That we say, Christ, there is nothing, no relationship on this earth, no physical thing, nothing that takes place in my heart and in my spirit other than you. And I'll get to the understanding of the things of this world and relationships that God has given us and where this fits in. But Jesus sits with his disciples and say, relinquish everything, let me be on the the throne of your heart because then you're blessed. It's not according to what you think or imagine. I often find myself in that place where I'm deeply challenged by this, where I think another address would do or where I need to fix the car again. And I think, I'm not blessed because it's breaking again. Any of you can relate to that? The silly things? And then when you see and start seeing that these things should stand outside of your life and outside of your heart and shouldn't have any effect of you, it should only be Jesus and completely Christ and fully Christ and only Christ, you will start living a life that's blessed like nothing else and you will be envied by this world. That's what Jesus is saying. I think some of the guys in the the Bible who had revelation about this, we can look to this morning. Look at the words of David. I wanna just expound on this a bit. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. We all know that scripture out of Psalm 40. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That word, waited, studied it this week and it was a great Revelation to me. The original text in the Hebrew is to be intertwined and twisted into God. That's what soul poverty means. When we can be intertwisted and intertwined fully into God. Then I'm like, God, but then I want to wait on you, according to what David said. You need to understand that in the Hebrew word, there's concepts that they spoke out of culture that our English world, world, world can't match up. So we, we think waiting literally means we've got to wait another day, another week. No, it's getting yourself in a position where you are twisted into God and remaining in that position. Then you are blessed. That scripture that says, be still and know that I'm God, Afrikaans people, still doesn't mean be quiet. That's what I always thought. Yemeno Sharap. Because again, language barriers comes into play. The Hebrew word of that means to desist, to become weak and frail, and to actually fail. Then you can stand and know that I am God. And Jesus, years later, echoed these words of David, saying, if you wanna be blessed, desist, become weak, fail, because it's in that position that you will receive my kingdom and everything that comes with it. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it so completely different to what we hear in the world out there? I love the words of David, amongst others, who said this. He said, and there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I read it this week again. I'm like, God, is this even true in my life that there's nothing I desire beside you? Look at the words of Paul. I count all things lost, all things, not just some things, every single thing that this world can give me, the things of this world, I count it all lost 
because of the excelling knowledge of Christ Jesus. Listen to some of the others. Abram, this is all quoted scripture. I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Poor in spirit. Jacob was poor in spirit. I'm not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. Poor in spirit. That's what Katie ministered into this morning. Some of you feel that poverty in spirit. You say, I have to be worthy of the love of God. That's what Heinz encouraged us in this morning. And he's saying, that's a good place to be in. Didn't David say that the sacrifice is acceptable to God? It's not a hands in the air singing at the top of our lungs for half an hour. Yeah, Jesus. It's a place where your heart is completely broken before him. So if you feel that this morning, it's good. And we want to get away from it as quickly as we can. We, just, we don't like that feeling, like being broken and vulnerable and, and empty. But Jesus is saying, this is blessed. You are blessed when you have that sense in your heart of brokenness and poverty before me because then I can truly come and all the other things make way so that the kingdom can come and rest upon your life. That's the blessedness that he has for us. Solomon said this, O Lord my God, you made your servant king in place of his father, David, although I'm like a little child. Hello, poor in spirit. Job was poor in spirit, especially after Losing everything. He says, I've heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes behold you. Isn't that beautiful? I've heard of you, God, but now what I've been through, becoming poor in spirit, now my eyes see you, see you at work. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Therefore, I become poor in spirit because I want you to pour out everything that you have in me. Isaiah, in the presence of God, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, poor in spirit. We look at these people and we think they were the champions, the heroes, and yes, they were. God used them powerfully, but they understood a key that Jesus teaches, the very first and most important key in the Sermon of the Mount, become low and poor in spirit, because there my kingdom will be poured out. John the Baptist, he must become more and I must become less. And then there's so many more stories in the New Testament. The centurion that came to Jesus said, if you would only speak a word, I'm not worthy, but if you would only speak a word, I know your kingdom can come into my life. The woman at the well saying, I'm not worthy to be here with Jesus. He said, let me give you some living water. This is the, the exciting thing about these paradoxes. It's the letting go of the one in order to get the others. It's saying, God, there's nothing on earth I desire beside you. And then you don't even get the kingdom of the world, but you get the kingdom of heaven. And if I had to choose between these two, I would rather choose the kingdom of heaven. And I want to take us right back to the beginning to try and explain this to us even better. The day that God created us and he created things, says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then the story continues and he created the animals and the plants and the skies and the lights and then in Genesis 1 verse 31 interesting moment it says God looked at all these things and he saw that it was and what he's done is he's created the things and let's let's think for a moment that these these color bricks are the different things that life offers us 
relationships, things to enjoy, food, which is a good thing, because God saw it and he thought this is good. He saw Adam and Eve and he's saying this is good that there's relationship. He saw all the beauty of nature around us and say this is good. And he made all of the things for humans to enjoy. So there's nothing wrong with the things and the enjoyment of it. And then God said, but I make man completely empty and transparent before me so that I can come and pour myself into the spirit and into the soul of man. Until man is filled up with nothing other than me. Let's get this full. Now don't get frights when it spills because that's the plan. Sometimes I do my, my sermon illustration and, and people try and help. It's gonna spill, let it spill. God creates things, he creates man, he sets man in between all these things and he says, I'm gonna fill man. I'm gonna be the one that takes the throne on the heart of man. And then we know what happened, the terrible day that things became the thing. And we start putting these things into our lives and it pushes out God. And we put in another thing. And it pushes out God. And we put in a third thing. And it pushes out God. When things that God gave us to enjoy and he said subdue the earth, enjoy it, rule over it, have dominion, it's all good. And he looked at it and he says, these things are beautiful. The moment God, God stepped outside of our lives and, and Adam and Eve decided to put things on the throne of their heart, God started moving to the outside. And it's got us to a place of soul poverty. And then we come into the presence of God and he says, you know what, there's some things that I need to remove out of your life. And he starts taking these things out of ourselves and this drops until a place that we're feeling empty, right? And then because of the cross, and this is the key, Jesus comes and he looks at that and he says, your soul is empty because things have become the thing and you've taken that out and it's a good place to be because if you're in that place of emptiness, I can come again and give you the fullness of my kingdom. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To say, God, all the things that you've given for my enjoyment that has taken the throne of my heart, I uproot them and I take them out and I discard them. But it feels like there's an emptiness. Maybe you're going through a moment in your life where there's a relationship that's not there anymore and you're feeling quite empty and broken. Maybe God has challenged you like he's challenged the rich man to say, sell all your stuff, don't hold on to it. And now your soul is feeling somewhat empty. And that's exactly what Christ is saying is, get rid of those stuff that's got place in your heart and empty yourself because then I can come and pour myself into you again until you are full to the brim. The worship team can come and join me. And I wanted to use this example and the example of the lowly beggar asking simply for a piece of bread and I want to transcribe the first beatitude into these next words. Jesus said, rid yourself of things and become hungry for me like a lowly beggar for a morsel of bread. And I will come 
giving you more than that morsel. I will come giving you the banquet feast of my kingdom. Isn't that powerful? God, we are so empty in ourselves and we are so, so full of our sin and so full of the stuff that we've built our lives around so we feel completely empty. Can we just have a piece of bread of your presence? Can we just have a little taste to see that you are good? And God says, yes, you may, but more than that, my entire kingdom is gonna step into your life. That's what it means to be utterly and completely blessed according to the words of Jesus. And that puts me in a place of saying, God, yes, this is what I want. Let my soul therefore be poor my spirit poor of the things that I build my life around so that I can have the fullness of your kingdom poured back into me. And that's how you intended it for us from the start. I'm gonna end with a story that we all know. Well, maybe you don't. But it's the story of Abram. And God gave him a thing. He gave him a promise outside of his life. He said, Abram, you're a great man. I've called you for great things. And here's the promise, your, your children will be like the sands of, of the ocean. You can't count them. And then we know the story of how Abram and Sarah walked for many years in that promise, hoping that one day it would be fulfilled and then eventually they gave up. And he was sitting outside the tent, looking back over, the, over these years and like, you know what, God never fulfilled that promise. And God rocks up and he says, it's time. My promise is gonna be fulfilled, your wife's gonna be pregnant. And he gave him a son. But the sun was never inside the heart of Abram. It was outside of Abram's heart. But I can imagine that there was a moment where that sun crept in so deep, the thing that God gave him, the father of it sitting on the throne of his heart. And God looked at him and he says, whoa, Abram, if you're gonna be the father of faith, we're gonna do something here to deal with that. You've gotta become poor in your spirit again and empty yourself of the things that fills you up. And in this case, it's your son, Isaac because he's a beautiful son, it's a fulfillment of my promise. You see all the seed in him, you see the, the, the full picture of what I'm gonna do through him, but you've made it such a big thing that it's climbed onto the throne of your heart. So let's uproot that. Why don't you go and take your son up the hill and slaughter him? I thought about that. Imagine that in today's context. Blows my mind. But God said, listen, poor in spirit means that you allow nothing else inside here but me. Then the things become something we can actually enjoy. Then the things are good, because it doesn't fight with Christ in our lives. Then we get to celebrate it and enjoy it. And you know what, if the things are taken away, there's a kingdom that we are part of, and one day in heaven, the fullness of Christ will be for us to enjoy. But listen to this story from Abraham. I'm reading from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, and he calls it the blessedness of possessing nothing. How blessed are you when there's nothing that you own? As is frequently true, the New Testament principle of spiritual life finds its best illustration in the Old Testament. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we have a dramatic picture of the surrendered life as well as an excellent commentary on the first beatitude. Abraham was old, when Isaac was born, old enough indeed to have been his grandfather. And the child became at once the delight and the idol of Abram's heart. From the moment he first stooped to take the tiny form awkwardly into his arms, he was an eager love slave of his son. God went out of his way to comment on the strength of this affection. 
And it's not hard to understand. The baby represented everything sacred to this father's heart. The promise of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years and long messianic dream. And as you watch him grow from babyhood to young manhood, the heart of the old man was knit closer and closer with the life of his son till at the last the relationship bordered upon the perilous. It was then that God stepped in to save both the father and the son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. Take now thy son, said God to Abraham, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou loves, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. The sacred writer spares us a close-up of the agony that night on the slopes near Beersheba, when the aged man hand had it out with his God. But respectful imagination may view in awe the bent from wrestling convulsively alone under the stars. Possibly not again until one greater that Abram wrestled with was the one in the garden of Gethsemane that such mortal, mortal pain visit a human soul. That would have been a thousand times easier for Abram because he was old now and to die would have been no great ordeal for one who had walked so long with God. Besides, it would have been a last sweet pleasure to let his dimming, dimming vision rest upon the figure of his stalwart son who would live to carry on Abrahamic line and fulfill unto himself the promises of God. How should he slay the lad? Even if he could get the consent of his wounded and protesting heart, how could he reconcile the act with the promise? In Isaac shall thy seed be called. This was Abram's trial by fire, and he did not fail in the crucible. While the stars shone like sharp white points above the tent where he was sleeping, and Isaac lay, and long before the great dawn had begun to lighten the east, the old saint had made up his mind, and he would offer his son as God had directed him to do. And then trust God to raise him from the dead. This, says the writer to the Hebrews, was the solution this aching heart found sometime in the dark night. And he rose early in the morning to carry out the plan. It is beautiful to see that while he erred as to God's method, he had correctly sensed the secret of his great heart. But Isaac has become an idol. And the solution accords well with the New Testament scripture. Whosoever will lose for my sake shall find. God let the suffering old man go through it up to the point where he knew there would be no retreat. And then he forbade him to lay a hand upon the boy. To the wandering patriarch, he now says in effect, it's all right, Abram. I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy sound and well. Take him and go back to your tent. Now I know that thou fearest me, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Then heaven opened and a voice was heard saying to him, by myself I have sworn, said the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld your son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless you. There it is. Because you've become poor in your spirit, now I'm gonna bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply the seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall be the nations of the earth and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
because thou hast obeyed my voice. The old man of God lifted his head to respond to the voice. And he stood on the mount, strong and pure and grand. A man marked out by the Lord for special treatment. A friend and a favorite of the most high God. That's what it is to be blessed according to Christ. And this morning, all of us have put things in there. We've opened our heart and say, the things that He gives us to enjoy, whether it's a son or stuff, has taken the throne of my life. I had to, this week, look at so many things. I'm like, God, sorry for that. And it's not a, it's not a bad sorry. Because what's at stake? don't do this, I lose out on the fullness of the kingdom. So because of that, I'm saying, God, just take this, just take that. Where I've made that too much, where that's on the throne of my life, just just put it aside because I want to be blessed with the fullness of your kingdom.